0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Colin and Samir Show. Today, we have a very special
1: interview for you. Hassan Minhaj is a master storyteller. I mean, he's someone that Samir and I have wanted to have on the show for a really long time. It is truly a dream come true.
0: And for me, as like a young Indian kid who was kind of exploring the bounds of, of storytelling and entertainment, seeing Hassan be able to succeed in the entertainment industry, for me, was really something that, that motivated me to actually be able to do what I do today.
1: Now, if you're unfamiliar with who he is, we'll give you a quick rundown. He grew up in Northern California, started honing his craft, doing stand-up comedy, and actually has early roots on YouTube. He was making sketch comedy videos under the name Goat Comedy. Now, I came across him for the first time when he got his big break in 2014, after he got his big break as the last correspondent hired by Jon Stewart on The Daily Show. Then after four years on The Daily Show, he landed his own series on Netflix called The Patriot Act, which ran for six seasons, and that show led to some of the toughest times not only in his career, but also in his life. Well, Netflix under fire today after its decision to pull an episode of a comedy show that was critical of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, hosted by comic Hasan Minhaj.
0: So we sat down with Hassan the day before the release of his new comedy special, The King's Jester. And that special talks about some of those times in his life, as well as tells some deeply personal stories. It's a really, really
1: interesting special. Samir and I actually got to see him perform the show live here in Los Angeles. Now it's up on Netflix. I highly encourage you to go watch it if you haven't yet. It's funny. It's sad. It's loud. It's quiet. It's so many things.
0: Now, if you haven't seen The King's Jester or if you're unfamiliar with Hussen, we do get pretty specific about the special as well as parts of his career. And on YouTube, we add a bunch of B-roll and moments from the show to provide as much context as possible. So if you're unfamiliar, check it out on YouTube. Those moments will be in this audio episode. But if you want additional context, check
1: it out on YouTube. This conversation is truly one of my favorites that we've had on the show and it definitely changed both of our perspectives about YouTube. I think it'll do the same for you. It was amazing how many parallels there were between what we do and what Hassan does. And he
0: has a lot of thoughts about YouTube. I mean, there's a big part of his special that's about algorithmic feedback to his work. So he has a lot of thoughts about being a creative or an artist in the age Of social media, he also had feedback specifically to one of our videos.
1: Yeah, that's true. Really interesting part that I think
0: you'll all enjoy. Something that's never happened on the show. True. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, we're going to stop talking now so you guys can enjoy this interview. I truly think you guys are going to drive so much value out of listening to this conversation, and you're going to learn a ton about storytelling. So, without further ado, here's our interview with Hassan Minaj. Damn. All right, man. Here we are. Welcome.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited to do this.
0: I'm really pumped to talk to you about this special, especially because we got the opportunity to see it live and then got the opportunity to watch yeah. the Netflix mm-hmm. version in a pretty
2: short window. Yeah, yeah. in a very short window. So you know? it, was, it was
0: very fresh. Right. But the the place I wanted to start, like my the most curious I was when I turned on the special, okay, was the way you open it and some of the decision making around yeah how unique that open was. It was almost like this personal confessional.
2: You guys want to know a secret? Yeah. For four years, my wife and I couldn't get pregnant and it was my fault.
0: <laughs> was it, was it like, jarring for
2: you? No, it wasn't jarring. Oh, I actually
0: thought it, okay. it it pulled me in okay. to be more understanding. This was yeah, an so intimate experience. It okay. played to the fact that it was yeah. on the screen.
1: Right. right. Like when we saw it in person, you walk out that's accessible from like yeah. a comedy standpoint. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're used to. It's like someone
2: walks out, they're like, "Brooklyn, what's up?" Yeah, and right. This was not yeah. that. For me, we were in edit and we were just thinking about starting with the PDF. The opening line of the show was, "Do you want to know a secret?" That, in and of itself, is like a confession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and you you know this. I mean, you guys studied film and stuff. Yeah. Start with the idea itself, then build the shots yeah. around it. So. We start with the confession, we start with the secret, and to me the most intimate way to convey that is if I'm gonna tell you this kind of comedy storytelling show, it should start with me looking at you. So we did the specialty shot, which just starts as a one mm-hmm. and it extends out, and then we slowly reveal through camera six, through camera eight, oh, he's in front of an audience. Yeah. But establishing the intimacy through the through the eyes and looking directly at the steady to me was just a choice of this is what this show is going to be. And we were going back and forth. There's so many people that are like, you got to have like a hard cold open. You got to say something fucking crazy. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. You got you to gotta be sure. big or, or boisterous or you got to be a provocateur in the first line. And I'm like, I actually think it would be a pretty confident move to that would honor the show if we started this way. So that was really kind of the mm-hmm. mindset behind it. Yeah, we always talk like, in a lot of our YouTube
1: videos, everything that we add sets a new expectation. Like if yeah. Samir and I crack a joke 30 seconds in, now the audience expects right. that like we mm-hmm. should be a little bit funny at least yeah. for the remainder of the video. But yeah. for you, like for a comedy special, it was jarring that like, oh, <laughs> the expectation mm-hmm. is yeah. he's going to be like really vulnerable and pretty serious with me. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, you know, we, we still got jokes. I mean, we, we still talk about, you know, pre-com and sex ed and of all that stuff within, yeah. Like, yeah. within like a minute, you yeah. know, yeah. which is pretty yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. One morning you're sitting there, Mrs. Lettington just bursts in. Pff, watch out, boys. Your pre-cum will get girls pregnant. Yeah, I mean, we're getting pretty kind of crass and, and, and whatever with it. But um, there's another thing where there's also a generational difference, too. It's funny, when I would show a cut of it to older producers, they'd go, dude, this, this thing of you looking at me is too intense. Yeah, like, hmm. it's too intense. And I think about everybody at home, dude, I'm in, you're in bed with people and they're just Mm -hmm. looking at a screen like this. And now because there's such minimal IRL interacting, these avatars that people have in their life, Colin and Samir, Mm -hmm. podcasters, this, Mm -hmm. that, and the other, they're some of the few people that they, they have direct eye contact with. Agreed. And so for me, I was like. Hey man, I, I haven't seen you guys in a while. Do you want to know a secret? Mm. And so I wanted it to feel like I'm talking to you. Yeah. And I want you to feel like you're part of. The, hey, don't don't text right now. I'm talking to yeah. you. Yeah. Because I know I know you're you're watching it on the screen, and then you're like you're texting your da da da, and you got an iPad in your mm-hmm. lap. But I want you to know I'm, I am talking to you. Something um, that we talk about a lot is when you open a piece,
0: you want to open an unclosed loop uh, immediately. Meaning yeah. you want to create a curiosity gap. So yeah, you saying yeah. want to know want to hear a secret. Yeah. For me, I'm like. I lean in a bit more, yeah, like, yeah, now yeah. I can't turn it off yeah. because I have to hear
2: the secret. So you speak Hindi, right? Yes. So, Colin, I'm, I'm going to bring you into the family a little okay. bit here. So in Hindi, there's a, there's a word called gudgudi, good mm-hmm. which is like a little tickle in your tummy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, the word sounds exactly like it sounds. It means yeah. what it like, sounds like. It's just like that little tickle in your tummy, like, oh, shit. Yeah, like, what yeah. is it? Yeah. To me, great comedy is the art of confession, right? I'm going to learn something new about Colin or Samir, like, yeah. tell me something mm. I didn't know about you. Um, and it's generally involves some form of risk. Mm. And to me, people generally, at me as an audience member, I won't speak for other people, but for me as an audience member, I'm going to lean in if I go, oh man, this person actually is putting some skin in the game. Yeah, They are willing to risk their reputation or their safety vis-a-vis the Overton window of what is acceptable to say or not say by putting themselves out on the line. So whether that's Gerard with Rathaniel being like, I know it's not popular in my community to talk about this, but I have to come out and be honest. And it's his coming out story or Bo Burnham or, you know, Hannah Gatsby. Even there's been moments I've seen Trevor Noah and Jon Stewart. They've crossed the Rubicon of the Overton window. And if you think about everybody that anybody fucks with on the Internet, these personalities, Elon, Chamath, Colin and Samir, any, any, whoever. Pretty low risk with (laughs) that much. But but like the, the greats Chappelle, uh, Stuart, if I'm going to tap in with you for an hour, there is that good goody factor of like, no, this dude's for real, for real Mm. risking something. I like that a lot, you know? So what are you actually, you know, risking? So to me it's confession, um, and risk. It's actually something that has become somewhat rare on screens. Like,
1: I think there was a period of time where vulnerability was a movement on YouTube. Oh, was and it? On social media, mm-hmm. Yeah, of like, right, right, right. Of like I'm going to get vulnerable with uh-huh. you. And like, once someone says that, you're like, eh, Oh, right. really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think you it's could, become, you could, You could tell the lack of sincerity in yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it became like something that you knew would get viewership, being right. vulnerable, right? And right. I think seeing you actually get vulnerable and be able to take the time to tell the story of what
2: happened to yeah, you, yeah, what you're and, going and with through. receipts mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. it to be mm-hmm. like this isn't just me pontificating I wanted yeah. to yeah yeah that's true and with receipts is super important yeah I know, I know, like I know the internet come correct with yeah. the receipts yeah. <laughs> I was like here's the email from the Saudi embassy saying yeah. pull up dear Hassan Minhaj we read your letter please come <laughs> to the embassy <laughs> like, yeah. receipts yeah. this isn't some just like this is how I feel yeah. it's like no no no, no. like this so is what it is.
0: The way you play with media and like almost B roll and A roll while you're on screen, like yeah. this theatrical performance. Yeah, I'm curious how you describe the King's Jester. Like, is it a comedy special? Because to yeah. me, when I when I sit and watch it, it's really stretching the bounds of what that means and yeah. the genre that we've gotten used to of yeah. of a quote unquote stand up special or a comedy special. Like, yeah. how do you describe it?
2: Um, I would call it. Um, kind of Spaulding Gray meets Richard Pryor, comedic storytelling.
0: Comedic storytelling. Yeah,
2: but to me, like, this has existed for a long time. So, mm. so all these boxes people put these genres in, I'm like, yep. man, this has existed forever. Mm. So when people are like, oh, man, like, these long-form podcasts where comedians are shooting the shit and bantering, I'm like, oh. no, you mean Howard Stern. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's been right. happening. Mm. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, come on, man, history repeats itself, then it deletes itself. This has existed forever. It's just moving to a new location mm. and a new audience that isn't aware of those things.
0: One thing I thought was really fascinating about the, the style of storytelling here yeah. is that, you know, you open deeply personal and very vulnerable. Yeah. But somehow you make the stories specific and universal at the same time.
2: And I'm holding this little gulab jam and this little brown ball. Yo, and here's how I knew my daughter was Indian. She wouldn't stop staring at me. <laughs> I was like, oh,
0: you're one of us. My wife, who's been to India and has eaten Indian sweets, was yeah. like, he said Gulab jamun." Yeah. Like she's so excited about that, sure. right? Cause she can sure. connect with that. Yeah. How do you think about that when you're storytelling and like who it's gonna connect to? Cause yeah. there's a lot of people that, that are
2: excluded from those references. Look, man, for me, I grew up, you know, my, my, my dad came in 1982. I was born in 85. All the pop culture that influenced me, I'm not a part of that culture. 50 cent get rich or die trying I'm not a part of that culture Jay Z's the blueprint I'm not a part of that culture at all slam magazine like that culture has nothing to do with me Seinfeld I'm not a, a Jewish comedian living in New York yeah but those things were great because the best art to me pulls you into the living room and honestly man that's why I feel like Indian culture is the best our culture really is like our weddings where it's just like come one come all like, yeah. from the dance floor, everybody's mm. welcome, to the food, everybody's welcome, to the moment you enter our house. Like, it's, it's actually ingrained in our culture. Pull up, take your shoes off, have you eaten. And I, w- I want that to be in my art. And to Love me, and to me, there's also this thing of, if I start worrying about, is Colin going to get this or not, and I, I kind of orange chicken my jokes, I diet <laughs> Pepsi my material, mm-hmm. it's yeah. actually insulting to his intelligence, Yeah. Everybody wants to go to the best Ethiopian restaurant or the best Uh, hike in Peru. And they want to meet with, you know what I mean, the best cinematographer in Bombay. And they want their intelligence to be respected. Whether or not, Colin, you lived in that experience, I'm like, I want you to come in to this. And then when I do stuff that's a little bit more quote unquote secular or broad, I want Colin or anybody else to feel like, man, I'm a part of his family. Like, I, I get it, you know. Yeah,
1: I think yeah. specificity also makes me believe you.
2: Yeah. Like, whether it's Seinfeld
1: yeah. or you saying Golab Jamin, I'm like, fuck yeah, like that's yeah. your experience, and I know it's yours. Yeah. yeah. Right, and I can like really sit there in the seat and believe it.
0: Yeah. So I've watched a, I've watched kind of your career because yeah. obviously as as an Indian American, like you even hear a hint of an. Indian American entertainment, and you're like, what's that? You oh, know, okay. I want to, I want to know what's going on. I yeah, mean, yeah. all the way back to philosophy and
1: like I'm sorry. watching, watching yeah. that show on I'm MTV. Really like sorry. being I actually paid for it on
2: Amazon last yeah. night. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, I just gave no, two ninety nine for an episode. Hopefully oh you no, get a couple, dude, why'd you do get that? A royalty from that or <laughs> yeah. something? But just trying to help you out. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I get like an eighteen cent royalty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but um, you said something in an interview where you said that you didn't feel like you had an illmatic. Like, oh, uh, you felt like Nas's. Old hip hop album, right?
2: His first yeah. hip hop album yeah. was good. Yeah.
0: And you didn't feel like when you look back at your stand up nah. or you look back at the truth or you look back at any of this, like it's you. pretty bad, yeah. You felt like there was something off with everything from your past.
2: Yeah. I didn't start as a savant. So right. Yeah, <laughs> but to yeah. me,
0: The King's Jester is a culmination of all of these different experiences, yeah. uh, right? Like when we go back in time, and, and specifically, I want to zoom in on
2: The Truth yeah. with Hasan Minhaj. Minaj. There are images of Jeremy Lin. In a Knicks jersey doing Hadookens. what the fuck? Are you serious? How
0: racist are you? Just let him be good at basketball. That series, yeah. um, to me, feels like it, it laid the foundation for what Patriot Act became and what you know, King's Jester. Totally. Is. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you can just talk a bit about you know, kind of that era for you and, sure. and early days, the exploration of putting out your work mm-hmm. and even having now like a library where we can look back and. Yeah. Stuff.
2: Oh, wow. I think, you know, when I first started doing stand-up, I was a, a freshman in college. So I actually started doing stand-up around 2004, 2005. So YouTube was just starting, like, as a platform. Yeah. And funny enough, it was, I think, November 2005 when that really viral clip of Russell Peters went viral. It was those early years that I was in college, I was doing open mics, and that really was kind of like the Russell Peters, Dane Cook era where there were these huge, like, digital kind of stars that were made that popped because of social media. And I just saw YouTube um, as a way to get your ideas out there and just a quick way to, like, honestly play your clips at culture show or at, like, a comedy show. You would, you know, drop yeah. a screen and just, like, project it in Chem 194 while you're doing, like, your stand-up show or whatever. Sure. And I think, you know, myself, Ben Schwartz, Derek Comedy even those early Bo Burnham clips, those were kind of our early mixtapes of like, hey, these are our sketches and our ideas. And honestly, all I was trying to do at that point is there were these kind of mini proof of concepts. And I wanted to just be a really good comic in the San Francisco Bay Area. Then when I got to LA, you want to kind of be good good at those shows. Mm -hmm. And The truth and those things were just, hey, I wasn't booking things through the legacy media, traditional media thing. Me, Aristotle, Fahim, Asif, we weren't booking anything. And we would just see each other at auditions. And so we thought, hey, let's shoot this ourselves. And I didn't know it was the beginnings of something that would really help me out later. Meaning come up with an idea, come up with a take, come up with a perspective, shoot the thing, get the thing out. And then rinse, wash and repeat and kind of own the stack
1: Mm -hmm. completely and let that
2: be the the guide for everything. And it it wasn't until the past couple years that I realized, oh, everybody that I really love, all the auteur filmmakers and all the artists that I love pretty much own the stack. You know, Gerard Carmichael, his film, he directed it, he starred in it. Bo with Inside, he directed, starred, shot, wrote. Yeah. Um full owners of the stack. Yeah, they're using legacy media for scale, because you need a budget. But you know, you could you could tell them, hey, write a three and a half minute sketch or a seven minute sketch, and they could do it because they they know the stack like that. And so, I didn't realize that it was valuable at that time. It was just survival at that time, and just trying to gain momentum and traction in your career and try to be kind of hot mm-hmm. in the community and gain people's respect and gain notoriety. But I I I look back on that time and I'm like, man, it really yeah really helped me a lot.
1: Was there a reaction at the time to any of those pieces where? You put one of them out and you're like, I own the stack for that one. Yeah. Did it myself. And like, I actually got some positive feedback here or negative. Like, how did that shape kind of where you went next? Yeah,
2: there were a couple. I did one about Jeremy Lin when Linsanity happened and it went viral and people were talking about it. And it was the first time I realized, oh, this is what it could be like if I was on The Daily Show Mm. doing like an act one chat or if I was doing weekend update, Mm. like that kind of looked directly to the camera down the barrel, comedic, you know, Phil DeFranco kind of thing. Yeah. But I was a huge Jon Stewart fan. I was influenced by him, and that was the closest way we could do it. So I was living at the Visconti Apartments on 3rd and Bixel here in downtown. Aristotle who who is on SNL now, Um, and he would come and shoot them. We'd shoot them together. He would direct, and I would write, and Fahim would sometimes do, you know, punch up and help me make it funnier, and we would shoot it and put it out. And those first times it it went viral was really kind of these really cool moments of, oh, we could just shoot this, and our budget's like 200 bucks. And it reaches so many people. And even if it got 200,000 views or 300,000 views, it was this really empowering feeling of like, man, it's, it's resonating. Emotional resonance is what I was what we were chasing at that time.
1: I think for me, it was pretty empowering because I discovered you first on The Daily Show. Like I was a huge fan wow. of John Stewart. Watched like Monday through Thursday, high school, really? college, everything, yeah. Oh, wow. Right, and and the confidence that you had, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, this wow. This is like a little different. Oh, cool, thank Searched you. Search your name. And the first thing I found was the truth. You know, the time markers, 2012 on the truth two years later, you're actually on the daily show. Yeah. It and it was just one of these like, hell yeah. Yeah. Like, this oh, is what you, you can do. Yeah. You know? yeah. Thank that you. Like if you have a place you want to be, but maybe there's gatekeepers, like just take to YouTube, just yeah. start doing
2: it. And I got a shout out, you know, Prashant, Venkat Ramajam, director, you know, we, we started the company together and he's always told me, you know, never forget the power of the PDF. And I think a lot of times people get lost in the sauce of how are we going to shoot it? What's it going to look like? What is it? How are we going to release it? How are we going to make micro content Mm -hmm. out of it? He's like, what's the, what's the idea on paper? Yeah. How good is the writing on? Yeah. This is like the bones and the broth of this is going to speak volumes to what it really is. And he's like, don't worry about, are you going to use antique lenses and what the lights lighting is going to be? If the idea is shit, if the take is garbage, if the actual jokes are whack, it's never going to matter. And, um, that really gave me like a, I still use that as like a guiding principle mm-hmm. with everything that we do. I always just print out the PDF and I go, hey, just, just read this real quick. Yeah. And we can scale up from that. Um, I haven't talked about this, but I'll, I'll share it for Colin and Samir because I think the, the listeners will appreciate it. The, just the set alone of the King's Jesters, $1.6 million Wow, that I had to pay for, I'd you know, just be put yeah. up the bag. People are like, is that worth it? For me, it was only worth it. And Prashant and I had to sit down. It's like, you're, it's 1.6 out of the Wells Fargo account. Jajunk. Risk. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right? some yeah. risk. Yeah, yeah. risk. Yeah. Like yeah. risk. Yeah. Just to give you like perspective, the average special just for like the eight cameras that you see on Comedy Central, HBO, somewhere around 700K, mm-hmm. 750, 800, maybe maximum. Just the stage, of the set alone, 1.6. Wow. And that's, that's not going to... My kids' college education, sure. braces, mm-hmm. VTSAX, all that's That's like just for this visual experience.
0: Did you already have a deal at this point? Or that's like, you know, like- I was going to do it this you, way regardless. It, you know? No matter what.
2: To, to me, yeah. but, it, but I'll go back to the first principle. How good is the PDF? Yeah. So we had done 168 shows. I'd been writing it for three years. So for me, I was like, I believe in this. That's all that matters. I believe in it the same way I believed in the truth 10 years ago or any of those sketches where I had $1,000 in the bank and I'm like, I'm putting up 300 to do Indian Spider-Man. I think the sketch is really funny. The sketch was loosely based on the idea if Spider-Man was Indian, he wouldn't even be able to get out of the house because his parents <laughs> okay. wouldn't, wouldn't let him leave. So he couldn't <laughs> yeah. fight crime because yeah. his dad would be like, close the window, the AC's on. You know what I mean? You know that <laughs> yeah. was like, the thing, the window seat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was, like, yeah. Know, yeah, His dad's like, close the window, the AC's on. You know what I mean? And, yeah. So, like, already, oh, yeah. the way you're laughing, that's a 15-second pitch yeah. Yeah. off the PDF. Right. And what's crazy is by the time I joined The Daily Show, it was the same thing with John. If you can't convince John, Steve Bodo, Tim Carvell, those guys, within a minute of the actual depth of the idea of the joke, it's not going to make air. You know, I didn't get The Daily Show till I was 30. And I think there's just, you know, at the time, those, I call those, those years 18 to 30, the dark ages, where I was just fighting for health insurance. And I had proposed to my wife when I, by the time I was 29, so it was a real risk. I didn't know what our financial future was going to be, and when you, know, when you get married, you're, you're thinking about the future, kids, those sort of things. And I grew up, my parents sometimes argued about money, and that was a big um, insecurity point for me because I remember those fights over money, and I didn't want my marriage mm-hmm. to have that. And so getting the Daily Show really was this like, oh my God, we're going to have health insurance. Yeah. And then for me, the big thing was, you know, you sign a three-month contract. So I was just fighting and clawing for my life. But that first segment that you saw me do with Jordan Klepper, for me, man, it really was just like an eight-mile moment. Mm-hmm. Like, this is 10 years, one month, and nine days of training yeah. to fucking hit this thing out of the park. You know, and I really, you know, just brought that energy to it. And I was like- Hell hath no fury. Like I'm yeah. going down swinging. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Were those those dark years, eighteen to to thirty? Yeah. Like when you were owning the stack and getting feedback and putting out content. Yeah. Um, what was the balance between, I guess, like positive feedback, negative feedback? How did you How did you gauge your validation and keep going to know that five years in, you're like, this is. I'm gonna keep doing this. Like this is.
2: Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing that I did is and i think it's really good that i balance both live performance with internet mm. stuff. What's great about live performance, meaning stand up, like stand, stand, know, up, stand up, yeah. Stand up. What's really great right now is stand up and you when you perform before an audience, there is a true audience, meaning there's a bell curve of what the audience thinks and believes. So when you guys were watching the show live in Th- Thousand Oaks, there's 1800 people. And if you hear the ebbs and the flows of the laughs, there's an aggregate in the middle. There's a true median. There's a median laugh mm-hmm. point. The people that aren't into it are on these edges. So maybe there, there's, a, there's a guy who's walking out who's like, fuck this, this is whack. And maybe there's a person that's like falling asleep over here. These are the, these people on the fat, as Nassim Taleb calls the fat tails, they're outliers. But you're able to get a really good understanding of what the audience as an mm-hmm. aggregate believes so I can hear your gasps. I can hear your laughs. I can hear your applause breaks. The problem with producing just for the algorithm is now you're producing at times for the most extreme individuals. These lunatics <laughs> on the edges <laughs> yeah. that have the most extreme positions. Interesting. Yeah. It's almost like the Taliban on the internet. These just fucking <laughs> rabid yeah. lunatics. that They're actually rep- the
1: easiest to create for. Exactly.
2: Right? That represent wow. the, the edge. So... The internet has turned it into these individuals with a megaphone that are hijacking the conversation vis-a-vis the quote tweet system on Twitter, which is dunking on people, getting likes. In Hindi, we call it tamasha and hangama, just the spectacle of Mm. yelling and wrestling. If you watch Indian news, it's just people, ah, fuck you, just people yelling at each other. Those people are actually edge cases. They're not the representative of that 1,800. Most people aren't that. And so having that like live IRL check on the work is really important for me because I don't want to be an av- a person who's servicing these avatars. Mm. I want to be like an artist that's actually connecting to people.
0: Wow, that is, that's fascinating to, to think about al- algorithmic feedback versus yeah. IRL
2: feedback. Yeah.
0: This podcast is supported by our friends at Kajabi. Kajabi is one of the most significant brands in the creator economy. Creators have earned over $6 billion on the platform through selling courses and membership. And Colin, do you know how Kajabi was started? I don't. So the founder wanted to manufacture a toy for his kid, but over time realized that manufacturing and fulfillment was really complicated. So he actually ended up making a video about how to make toys and then realized there was no good way to sell knowledge-based
1: videos online. So he built Kajabi. So the platform is actually built by an online creator. That's really cool. And it just makes me think about how many opportunities there are in education right now. There are so many things that people know that other people would love to learn, but that they just don't have access to. And I think online creators are the absolute best
0: teachers right now. We all know how to engage an audience through video. When we were thinking about launching our course business, student experience was the number one thing we wanted to make sure was excellent. And after looking at all the options, Kajabi was the one that really stood out because of their templates, as well as everything that's built in. We're able to offer worksheets, videos, live sessions, challenges, and even a built-in community all through Kajabi. So if you're interested in checking out Kajabi, go to kajabi.com slash Colin and Samir. All right, back to the episode.
2: I actually was, I, was, I wanted to talk to you guys yeah. about this. It's It's artistry versus the algorithm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by artistry is not, I'm not trying to be, um, pejorative or insulting of like, if you're a vlogger, you're not an artist. No, no, no. Let me define artist. An artist is, has something in their head or their heart that they got to say and they want to get it out whether or not they have an iPhone or not. That's an artist. I have to get this out into the world. We're in Santa Monica or Venice right now. You have a short film. Let's show it yeah. in the park tonight. Yeah. That's what it's about to me. Record it on the Canon 5D, we'll import it, cut it in Adobe, export, let's play it. That's artistry. You had an idea or belief, you got it out. Versus the algorithm, which means you wake up in the morning and you see a series of YouTube shorts of people with a mic like this and yellow text right here and they're, they're yelling yeah yeah you've seen our videos and it's like this it's like this like, and it's like what are you doing like you know what I mean like and it's just like a Jordan Peterson video and I'm just like man you know you're just like man and you're like yeah. I gotta fucking I gotta yeah. do it yeah. Yeah. I need to do that right now get the yeah. emotional music and be like "What? Well, there's a there's a crisis of men right now yeah. you know what I mean and, just, and they're they're coming for us who's they yeah. doesn't fucking matter yeah. you know what I mean yeah. just like cut it cut it yeah. right now and make it 30 seconds yeah. and give me big yellow font <laughs> that it's, that's insulting to the audience's yeah. intelligence and make sure they get it fucking they freebase it into their head at 9.15 in the morning yeah. like that yeah. you yeah. know what that is like that's a business but that's like people yeah. recreate that but that's the <laughs> Algor- yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. servicing an you're algorithm for what works yeah you're servicing yeah. an algorithm and the problem with that is you may start servicing that rather than your own truth and honesty and artistry yeah i was telling you guys this on the phone you start doing that you'll be refining crude oil for youtube meta and twitter you're just a guinea pig and you're spending your days being like how do i how do I please this, this engineer in San Bruno? <laughs> yeah. You're a yeah, fucking no, yeah, you're right. skinned rat. Yeah. For some Desi engineer in yeah. Mountain View. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, I can't, I refuse to live my life like this. So I've also, you know, I'm 37 years old. I'm like, am I gonna, am I gonna be this guinea pig for Prakash? Yeah.
0: Prakash is the engineer. Prakash yeah. is the engineer. Yeah. In yeah, Mountain just G- in G- case G- anyone didn't. And know then the he, idea. and then he's yeah.
2: going to a data meeting. Yeah. To be like, look, I got all these, got yeah. all these skinned rats to do this. Yeah, this right. is what's working. Rather than, you know, being like, hey, let's make the thing in, in a true, honest place. Let's u- upload the .mov and let's see what happens. To me, the, again, it's not perfect. It's not as pure as doing community theater or just sure. doing stand-up in the park. But to me, that is a safer middle ground, I think, for my, my soul. How do you guys, I actually had a question for you. You know, you guys are doing great online. You guys have been working so hard for so many years. And then this past year, you're like, you quickly got Mm -hmm. on the way to a million subscribers. How do you process that?
0: Yeah. So we actually talk about a concept that's very similar to what you just mentioned. We talk about there's a spectrum of artist to distributor. Okay. The artist is exactly what you described. I have something I want to say. I got to get it out. No matter, this is, you know, this has existed forever. Yeah. A distributor is the guy who's deciding we need to make another Spider-Man because that gets butts and seats. Yeah. And we think that, you know, you have to, to do this job of being an online creator, you have to yeah. be somewhere in the middle. You have to have something that you authentically want to say, but you also have to think about it in terms of performance and how it's going to work. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. I think we've slid on that spectrum at times way too far over to distributor to be like, what's working and let's yeah. repeat what's working yeah. Um because that is the business of being in media. And then you kind of lose yourself and you're like, but I can't do that for a long period of time because I don't want to do it ever again. So we've had videos where they go viral, they, you know, a million views, but then we look at each other and we're like, but we don't want to make that again. That's
1: not the audience we want. And And we don't want to go through that process. And so we
0: had to kind of Come back to, at the time when we decided to make this show, yeah. we had to sit down and say, what could we do for the next 10 years that we're authentically excited about? Mm. And it's sitting down with people that we respect yeah, and inspire I, us. I, I
2: think and, I got to give you guys your flowers. I, I think um, the fact that you guys have been able to maintain your integrity and be good faith actors and be genuinely curious and honest, that's why I wanted to do this. I'm, I'm, I I'm a genuine that. fan. I you it. Know, I'm a genuine fan. And by the that. way, there's other people in media. I don't want to paint the media yeah. as if everyone's like this. I got to give a shout out to JJ Reddick. JJ Reddick is also doing that for sports media. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. listen to the old man in the three, so many of those professional athletes don't want to sit down with ESPN First Take because they know yeah. you're going to play the Tamasha and Hangama game. For you're sure. going to turn this into sure. WWF. Yeah. But, but you know, the, Stephen A. Smith is going to be the heel, or mm-hmm. I'm going to be, you know, you're going to make this Hulk Hogan versus Yokozuna, and just we got to do this yeah. to, to get ratings. We're still balancing it though. Right. Cause yeah. like we're
0: building a business. And so there's like, you always can look down a path and say, there's a clear roadmap to how this, this works. Yeah. And sensationalism is oftentimes the answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to kind of come back to your internal compass and be like, actually that's not us. You, yeah. you know, when it doesn't feel like you, yeah. right. When you put something yeah. out and you're like, that's not us. And yeah. we, you do have to make sacrifices uh, yeah. from a, from a business perspective, from a dollar, from an opportunity perspective, totally. Mm-hmm. but what you're not sacrificing is that feeling when you lay in bed of like, that felt kind of dirty.
2: I think I got to just, first of all, like frame this and humble myself a little bit. I am very lucky that I've gotten to a point where I'm financially okay.
0: Yes. Okay.
2: So I want to frame that there. So for anybody that's creating things, that's like, hey man, I got to get over that first critical hump of Mm -hmm. financial security. I totally get it. And I'm not here to judge anybody's situation. And I get that. I get that intimately. I know what that feels like. And I so empathize with that. And when you're dealing with financial burdens like that, it feels like you're getting buried alive. Yes. Like I remember looking at my Wells Fargo account and seeing negative 600 Mm -hmm. or negative 700. It feels like so claustrophobic and you'll do anything to come out of it. So I'm in a different position, but one of the things that I was talking to JJ about, and I mean this also with NBA players, you get to a certain point, it can't be about money anymore. So now I have to make a decision. What am I really about? And yeah. that's my hand that's getting checked now. Mm-hmm. Any decision I make, people are like, bro, you don't need the money. So why are you doing this? And I'm 37. I'm married. I got two kids. So any decision I make is a cost on mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. And I talk about that in the King's Jester too. Yep. So for me, I got to believe it like, really deep down in my heart and I gotta be like I have to say this in order to do it mm. you know you've
0: also experienced and you talk about this in the King's Jester yeah the social media meth sure the cocaine clout oh man the Facebook fentanyl. fentanyl yeah
2: oh and once you get a taste of the cocaine clout oh the social media meth Facebook fentanyl I had to go harder in the paint I'll die for these likes oh I know let's go after every single dictator in the world That's an amazing, amazing part. You get a sniff of it. Um, It's it's amazing. I
0: did want to show you this. This was just on that note. Yeah. This was our 2019 Colin and Samir bank account.
2: Holy shit. Net income negative $18,887. Fuck, man. It was, I think
1: in a way we were actually fortunate that money was taken out of the equation. Because this show was like the lowest common denominator of yeah. how we could express ourselves. Yeah, it was literally just like, all right, let's put up cameras, let's talk to people, let's talk to each other. Yeah, like that we can. If do. you don't,
2: if you don't mind me asking, what was the why that got you through those dark times? So when you, you wake you know, up on Monday and you guys yeah. are talking, what was the why? I,
0: I reflect on it a lot. Like that time was really hard and weird. Yeah, because we would just show up and make stuff and somehow get excited in the yeah. morning. But I think it was that feeling where we would like get together, have a cup of coffee and be like, dude, what about that? Mm-hmm. And then we would just oh, make great. it and we'd like stay up all night. It was that's so great.
1: irrational. Like it in was, a way it, you look back and you're like, how are we... It was unreasonable. Spending that amount of time. It was know? completely
0: unreasonable. Like my parents, my girlfriend at the time, like I give them yeah. a lot of credit for looking at us for five years where sure. that was our reality for a really long time. Yeah. There was a year where our entire business's income was $30,000. Yeah. And you have two guys who live in Los Angeles. You know
2: what's funny though? When you guys were in 2019... Yeah. During going through the, what was your dark ages, I remember you guys would comment on some of my stuff, yeah. and I remember clicking and watching your guys' stuff and I go, "I really like these guys. Oh, interesting. Mm. Wow. I really like wow. the work you're doing, and so for me, like I don't know if that means anything to you, but I, I just wanted yeah, to yeah, give you.: props. Does. that means the a qualitative lot. Yeah, quality of yeah. I really of appreciate what, that. what you guys are doing, and I think it was, it's really you know, adding a net value to that Deciding means a lot in a good way.
0: There was a that, that really means a lot. And there was a lot of moments where there was like small pieces of validation like mm-hmm. that where mm-hmm. we'd be like holy shit, this person has watched our stuff yeah. and we would that would just Mm-hmm. Give us life for the next six months, right? Yeah. Like, we'd be like, even if we're not making any money, we're like, doesn't matter. Like, people we respect are watching our stuff yeah. Yeah. and are enjoying it or, or somewhat familiar with yeah. us. Like, yeah. anytime we'd, we'd, we'd meet someone, they'd be like, I really love that piece you guys did That's about. Cool. It. And you'd be like, yeah. Holy
1: shit. Like, Colin, I feel like the there, reason this worked is yeah. because of like faith and belief in each other. And then energy for ideas. And when you mm-hmm. find out that like someone liked one of your ideas, it's like, uh, oh, the energy in the tank <laughs> just went back yeah, up. You know yeah. what I mean?
2: And that's what would keep you going. Yeah. Even if it was like, this money situation is dark. Is there a, a North Star kind of question that you guys are trying to answer at Colin and Samir that you go like, this is really what the channel's all about?
1: At the, the end of the day, it's about like talking to someone like you and opening up some parts of how you did this mm-hmm. so that there's now another roadmap. Out there that people can watch and go. I'm oh, not cool. going to do everything that Husson did, right? But maybe I'll take that little piece there. Sure. Maybe I'll take a little bit of the inspiration there, like because everyone's roadmap is completely so different, different yeah, right. Um, ours has been completely different, but there's value in like taking little bits and pieces Mm. here and there. For me, it
0: was like when we were struggling in those dark ages, the show, how I built this was like my place I would go because I'd be like, Oh, I love listening to how different people did this and how everyone's story was different. And I could reflect and be like, so our story is going to be Do you guys ever
2: feel the the dopamine pull of trying to be more like the Nelk boys? All the time, man. (laughs) I'm genuinely curious. You know, I'm, I think I kind of sometimes straddle the legacy media and digital media. Sure. And I'm kind of, sometimes I dabble in both worlds, but sometimes when I look at that stuff, I'm like, I don't know if I fit in this world.
1: Mm. Yeah. It makes sense. I don't know if I can go that hard. Totally. I think it's interesting that like, we cover this space and like they're in this industry as we grow and get older, mm. we have to distill who do we want to talk to? What do we want to pull out of it? Mm. Yeah, right. Get firmer sometimes with our beliefs and like go yeah. towards channels that are uncomfortable to talk about.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, that's one of the the big things that um, I talk about in the special Yeah, is that there's so much about, that's talked about in comedy about comedians needing to push the envelope. And candidly, you know, through my experiences with the Saudis and, and Modi, Duterte, you know, all the shit that we were doing, tussling with dictators and autocrats. Yeah, sometimes the envelope pushes back. And I had to determine what my lines are. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so there's so much about you should just say anything. But I had to really come to terms with why am I saying this? I need to really determine what my kind of principles are um, because there are costs to what you say. You know, yo, you got fan mail. I go, give me my fan mail, Carlos. He grabs a stack of letters. He hands them to me. I rip it open. I flip it over. And all this white powder falls into the stroller.
0: And it falls on my daughter's shoulder. I wanted to ask you about, you know, that, that whole section is so fantastic. Um, yeah. The way you storytell and like, sh- like show the receipts of that section about yeah. going after MBS, the crown prince yeah. of, of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you know, by the way,
2: I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want the smoke. I'm yeah. 165 pounds. You know. Yeah, and yeah, that, so yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, <laughs> sure. just, you know. But
0: even the- I'm uh, glad we that up here. Yeah, 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 yeah this yeah, so is so the right, right place. is the medium to do right it. Right yeah. place, right time. Yeah. Th- there's another moment with your, you know, time- 100, and 100. 100 yeah. you know, dinner where you, uh, just kind of like go after Jared Kushner. Yeah. Uh, and it's a fantastic moment. And then you reflect on the performance of that as a, as a clip on your Instagram, yeah. I think it's three hundred thousand forty seven, three hundred 347,391 likes. likes on that yeah, post. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you, that's when you're talking about, you know, this validation that the algorithm is giving you yeah, and totally. your comfort in kind of going after these people. Yeah. I wanted to... Re-
2: and and I, I also wanted to, in that performance, show how ugly that transactional nature is. Go ahead, yeah. I'll let you finish. I was going to say,
0: question. I wanted to, to ask about back in time, the White House Correspondence Dinner or yeah. the truth with Hasan Minhaj yeah. and, and going after Ashton Kutcher or kind of asking that question about Ashton Kutcher yeah. in the Popchips ad. Yeah.
2: Ashton Kutcher decided to do a Popchips commercial and it was extremely offensive. Check it out.
1: I'm Raj, I'm a Bollywood producer. I'm looking for the most delicious thing on the planet.
2: Number one, white dude in brown face. Why?
0: Did you get that kind of like social media meth or like validation from those moments totally. that also went viral? Totally. And that also were like, really poignant yeah. that then led you to the yeah. comfort with the Saudis and Kushner.
2: Yeah. So one of the, th- the questions that I wrote down when I was first writing the King's Jester was, and I think this is so indicative of where we are as a society in our relationship with the internet. And the question that it was in my journal said, can you do the right thing for the wrong reasons? Mm. So you yeah. stand with Ukraine, you have the black circle in your profile You have your gender pronouns in parentheses. Are you doing the right thing for the wrong reasons? Is this a signaling tool to signal to others that, hey, I'm okay, I'm part of the group think and I get social validation and clout from it versus what you really believe. When I look at my wife, Bina, Bina believes what she believes. You take the iPhone away, you take the SLR away, she is who she is. She, to me, is a a, a pure artist than me or anybody that i know and so that exploration of when i become Gollum and i become clout daddy and i go yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah you know my wife goes yo it's, it's funny how you only care about these issues when there's a camera on you i'm like yeah. i know right yeah. she says so you did this for the activists <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah no, no the, the feed, feed the, yeah. the feed is active yeah Ooh, you know and i'm like there was even parts of it where i'd go even harder in the paint and i go are we friends then put it in feed yeah don't put it in stories. Yeah. <laughs> that means that I don't have enough clout to be in your feed, you know? And I'm just yeah. like, give me in yeah. feed fucking clout, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, you hack, yeah. you're just doing it on stories. Cause I'm not popular enough. But in my darkest moments, I also was like, when the anthrax stuff happened to my yeah. family and my Hudge visas denied and all these things that really matter to me, I'm like, man, if I die, if I get hurt, if my family members get hurt, if my marriage falls apart, man, people will forget about me with the flick of a wrist. Man, you're on to the next episode of JRE. Nobody gives a fuck about you, Hassan. Yeah. That's the reality, also for artists. Nobody give a fuck about you? They're like, damn. Look at just complex news. Oh, so and so died, huh? Mm-hmm. Flick. Yeah. Emma Chamberlain's back on the internet. Like yeah. you have to deal yeah, with that, that was existential crazy, reality. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I could have died. Yeah. Bum rushing the Saudi embassy. And then the next thing would have been like Ariana Grande says, Pete Davidson has a massive dong. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah, would have no, gotten the more yes. attention yes. and more whatever. Yeah. And then I have to look back on myself more attention. What the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. What are you talking mm-hmm. about bro? Like, your marriage is falling apart. What the fuck are you talking about attention? You, what, what do you, are you, have, you've lost the plot. So that is also a thing that I'm, you know, acutely aware of. And I think all of us kind of creatives and artists have to deal with this really weird thing of who you are and man, you've fallen off. And there's this thing of like, did I die? No, mm-hmm. did I die? You know, Tyler Babbin's going through this. He was, he was creative at, uh, Gary can, I, can mm-hmm. I tell the story yeah. he was creative at Gary so with Gary Vee, and he's doing daily content and mm-hmm. doing you know stuff for the gram and reels and TikTok and all this sort of stuff and then now he's come on board at 186k to help us develop our feature at Amazon help build the special out cover the tour really kind of build out projects one and a half two years at a time you know these long-form projects and he had to deal with this of like yo what's going on are you you fall off Hmm. And there's this thing of like, what yeah. are you talking about? I'm, yeah. I'm alive. Yeah. What are, you, what are you saying?
1: The expectation is that we're incredibly,
2: incredibly available
1: yeah. all the time. on Yeah. The internet,
2: right? And you guys were talking about this in a previous video of like, I think YouTube needs to have like a break for yeah. creators. And I wanted to call you immediately. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, you've lost the fucking plot. What are you talking about? The reason why we didn't go to med school or be engineers is so we don't clock in and clock out for Deloitte. But now you're just doing that for YouTube.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
2: What are you talking about? Oh, that's interesting. You're taking PTO. Yeah. (laughs) The fuck are you talking? You lost. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lost. Like, oh man, just let me call you the YouTube offices in LA and tell them, please, can I get some time off?
0: Fucking crazy. Mm.
2: Yeah. I like that. It's crazy. It's properly. That's Mm -hmm. absolutely nuts. When people go, hey, man, are you going to do a podcast? I'm like, wait a second. That's the new equivalent of like, are you going to med school or dental school? Mm. You have to, as everybody else is doing it. You're just falling for social signaling at the time. How many friends of ours went to med school, went to DO school, went to the Caribbean, (laughs) and 12 years later are having this existential crisis of like, what am I doing? Yeah. Mm. If you apply those same rules to like validating the social signals of what is popular right now, on YouTube reels or podcasting or whatever, you're going to get burned five years from now too, unless you truly believe it. Yeah. So I have friends, shout out to them. They are like real doctors. They believe in the Hippocratic Oath. And then I have a bunch of friends that drive Teslas and are just like, I'm a chiropractor and I don't believe in any of this stuff. So you could be the same thing in YouTube and call yourself an artist. That, I mean, that to me is the real thing. And I put it on journals all the time. Like, what do you want to do? And that goes back to artist versus algorithm yeah. thing.
0: I think that note, I, I really love that take on on our episode on the on break piece. I hadn't I actually yeah, had, I hadn't about thought about that, that. Yeah. but but I think a lot of it is because- <laughs> yeah, You better ping your boss on Slack <laughs> yeah. and be like, can yeah. I get a break? I, I think the, uh, the challenge there is the blurred line between artistry and entrepreneurship right now on sure. the internet, where it's like you got overhead tied up into your artistry. And I actually was talking to Colin about that, of like, that's a really backwards way to be an artist- Cause when you have overhead and expenses tied to your artistry, you kind of have you, you lose a lot of decision making.
1: Let so, alone not just artistry, like an advertising backed media business. Yeah. That requires viewership yeah, based yeah. on the algorithm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah so that you, you start to get clouded with the the other side of it, right? Yep. Which is the the entrepreneurship side or the business side of it. And you start to get confused of I said this to Colin, I was like, We have ads booked, you know, to the end of the year. Does that suggest that no matter what we'll be inspired to make? It does. But what if two weeks from now, we're like, I actually don't want to make something, Yeah. but we have a sponsor. Yeah. Right. So what do we do then? Right. right? And so I think that's, for us, this, this happened in a pretty short window mm-hmm. of going from n- net income being negative, you know, 18,000 to having a team and having an office. And yeah. And I think we're actually now just coming back down from that and being like, it's, it, it's outside of just the social media, method, there's also the business side of it where it's sure. like oh, holy shit, I'm making money from this for the first time. Yep, Like real money yep. for the first time. Yep. And that I think, especially for me growing up, how I did where the dinner table conversation is exclusively about money, basically, wow. you know, like you live in this scarcity mindset where for the first time when there's, a, there's money, you're like, I got to do anything and everything to keep collecting this. Sure. And I think yep. that's something that I'm reflecting on now sure. and recognizing like that's when it feels uncomfortable to tie your artistry to that feeling of scarcity because now you're making decisions in a completely different, with a completely different lens. Yeah.
2: And by the way, I'm not immune to that either. Like I'll get a call, go do this game show. We'll give you a bag. Go do this. You'll get a bag. Go perform in this country. You'll get a bag. And all the OGs, the, the Jedi that I call, the first thing they'll ask me is like, but why are you doing the gig? Do you need the money? They go, if you need the money, then go do it. Go do what you got to do. There's no judgment there. You can go do the Pizza mm-hmm. Hut commercial or the Samsung Galaxy sure. 5, you know, Verizon 5G commercial. It's um, the Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 3 by <laughs> Verizon 5G. It's the, I don't know if you know this, but it's the fastest 5G that's out there right there in the country. Um, you can stream game on the go. Now, you that was may, that was right. <laughs> you may yeah. That's exactly. not out. need yeah. that bag. Yeah. Uh, or you may need it and it may finance the sure. the special. Yeah. And that bag actually did help pay for that set, you know? Right. And so everybody's doing that math. The thing that I'm always wary of, I just don't want to go down. I call it the YouTube med school route Where 10 years yeah. later or 12 years later, you look back and you're like, I didn't even did know why did I just do this? Yeah. So um, I hope and pray for myself and for everybody that, you know, you, you find that true path of what you want to really do and you use the algorithm you don't let it mm-hmm. use you so to speak it's i think corny. that sounds uh, very corny. no but a
0: lot of your special and a lot of stuff i've listened to you talk about you talk about control mm-hmm. um i was curious actually one of the the most interesting things i wrote down when watching king's jester was in the beginning of the show as you're talking about your daughter you you build this narrative of like she she can decide or she won't have to go to Kumon. Right. And Kumon is kind of the representation of a lack of control. And then you start to explore the first time you felt control Mm -hmm. was through comedy. Stand Mm -hmm. Stand up. Yeah. I was curious about your relationship with control and how that's evolved.
2: Stand up was something that gave me a sense of agency. And when you figure out a joke, it's like figuring out a puzzle. You know, you, you put these two things into the equation and then out pops a reaction which is laugh laughter which is an involuntary reaction you can't force somebody to laugh and so when you get that laughter i get the validation of knowing oh you you see the world mm-hmm. the same way i the same way i do there's this feeling of feeling seen through that you also can take that thing and be out of control and so it's kind of crazy the first jokes that i told really did save my life and when i was taking it too far, I lost control. Now it it became way too out of control. And so um, one of the things that I've gotten as I've gotten older is I realize, especially now that I have a wife and kids, that circle of influence and control on the steering wheel, I have less of. It's wild. This is the first time in my life, all my friends, they have parents that are getting sick, parents that are passing away. For the first time I'm seeing friends getting divorces. So the Early trajectory of my life was people gaining things, hmm. gaining new experiences, holding hands for the first time, kissing for the first time, falling in love for the first time, making dorm room friends for the first time, first girlfriend, first whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I'm entering this new chapter where I'm like, oh, I'm starting to lose things. Friends are losing their hair, their waistline, spouses, loved ones, and um I've just become humbled by it. I've also taken, you know, chin checks. I've had wins, I've had losses. I've had shows that have gotten canceled, all that sort of stuff, and it just kind of humbles you and goes, "All right, it's it's not up to me."
1: I'm curious how does a, how does like the pace of your creation now play into that control? Mm. Because I think it's like five years since Homecoming came, yeah, right. And yeah. that to me, I would look at that gap
2: too big. Maybe. Also, without yeah.
1: Patriot Act being on, right? Yeah, putting a lot of pressure yeah. on. King's Jester, right? And for us, like we get to put out a video every week. Yeah, we give up some control, right, because of that pace. Yeah, we also gain control to like make adjustments mm. and keep moving. But yeah. for you, what's the give and take? What do you gain? I what think do you give up. Yeah, when your pace is that sort of like I think it's far the apart?
2: scale and the size of the idea. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do a movie and your budget is anywhere between five to thirty million dollars, just to get capital, get in pre-production, edit, shoot, mix, master something. It's going to take you a year and a half to two years. Some movies take five years. That's even longer, sometimes 10, just to get everything in order. That's the trade-off. The upside cost is deep emotional resonance. So you can't compare, it's apples and oranges. It's the, you can't compare Top Gun, Maverick to a, a, a podcast episode. They're different things. And it goes back to what we were talking about in the middle of the episode. And what I wrote down here, what do you want to do? And then you have to build a series of decisions around that. So for this feature that we're about to do for the culture with Amazon, that's going to be two years of our life. we got to go cast. we got to go get the music. i got to go fly to India, get a music director. i got to go do this. i got to go get a choreographer. All these things need to be done. It's going to be a two-year journey. And I have to have the confidence and belief in myself. That's the check. Every morning I'm getting checked. I'm like, maybe I should do this other thing. I believe in this idea so much that I'm going to continue on this path and hope that it translates and resonates because it's more honest than me following the social press pressure of going to YouTube dental school. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for real, I, I real, can't real talk. get yeah. that out of my head now. Real talk. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. Of just everybody yeah. else is doing this. But the why of want, why I want to do for the culture, because I've never seen a movie like that before, is bigger than the why of. I should do a podcast because all my other friends are doing podcasts or celebrities are getting paid out to do podcasts. That's not a good why to me. Yeah. Um, So that's that. Look, I'm going to ask you guys a question because I have to humble myself before the audience. It's not my choice. The people in the comments, the people that watch this stuff. I don't know. I don't know if the decision I made is the right decision. I don't know. I hope it resonates. I hope people find value in it. I hope people think the special is special or they might be like, I don't think so. I have to humble myself to the audience too. That's
0: I love, just to go back to what you said earlier about like kind of the the center of the bell curve. Yeah. Because for me, watching Homecoming King and watching King's Jester, like when I step away, those have profoundly impacted my perspective. Wow. And the difference that it's made me think about when we walked out of of seeing it live, Mm -hmm. for me, I felt like asking myself the question of like, have I made anything... Like that, or, wow. or am I thinking constantly about tomorrow's post, right? And I, I think that as we're like, this is a very fresh. Even though we've been making YouTube videos for ten years, this is a very fresh level of, you know, yeah. success we're having right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. And so it's an evaluation period of mm-hmm. like, how deep mm-hmm. do we want to go down this path? Mm-hmm. And we talk about it a lot because I think you do have to get to a place of financial stability to have that conversation. Yeah, to say. What do I okay yeah. now? What do I want to do with yes. this? And walking in. and of,
2: may I give just yeah. some advice? If there's anybody that's a creator, keep your burn low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I still keep 100%. my burn low. Like yeah. st- we lease, we lease our Honda Odyssey. Shout out to White Plains Honda. Hell yeah! Lease payment is five hundred thirty-eight dollars a month. <laughs> that shit's going back after three years. So we still lease the Honda. Yeah. We rent. I don't own my house. We rent still. And uh, what I do is I keep that capital available for one eighty-six k. And the capital that we have available allows me to have Tyler, PV. Mm-hmm. We have a full-time team, and we're able to move quickly and nimbly on an opportunity. And if we need to put up the capital or the bag to do a co-pro deal on a movie, we can. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, though. I mean, again, I'm I'm just as vulnerable as anybody else when I go to those Architectural Digest YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hi, I'm Dakota Johnson, and yeah. welcome to my airy Palm Springs home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I'm like, fuck! I have to give Richard the landlord a rent this month. (laughs) 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 By the way, so so we're talking. It's 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 October third. Yeah, special comes out October fourth. How do you guys think it's gonna do? Because I'm in a very vulnerable. I think it's no. I think it's gonna do great right now. Like what you
1: said earlier. You're like, look, I did 168 shows mm -hmm. with like in person immediate feedback and. I've watched some of the behind the scenes on your YouTube channel, actually, that, yeah. that Tyler made of you workshopping the really early stuff before yeah, you yeah. even went on tour. Yeah. This product, you've put in the work in front of a very diverse and large amount of people. Yeah. I'm not worried for you. Okay, got it. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. you've tested it again and again and again. Right, and, right. you know, I know, I think in one of those videos you said it was 110 minutes. It's not showing up on Netflix at 110 nah, 66 minutes.
2: 66 now, yeah.
1: I think it's been tested.
2: mm
0: yeah, my, my perspective on it is that I think that through Homecoming King and King's Jester, both mm. they build depth and not width. And I think yeah, depth mm. is the future. And all the creators that are going to last a long time are going to build depth. Oh, wow. Because yeah. the thing is, I, ha- th- I have a very deep connection with your story. When you release your next piece, I'm there. Wow. Yeah, you're, I'm already you're, writing you're, it. You're, yeah, right? Like you're you're yeah. live in, at the Civics Arts Plaza again, I'm there. Wow. You know, like, yeah. I, and that depth, I think the thing that I think a lot of artists don't fully realize is that you need depth with a very finite amount of people. You don't need Mm -hmm. millions and millions and millions of people. Right. 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 That's width. And some people are built for width. Yeah. That's a fame and celebrity game. Yeah. That's, that's cool. But like you're building depth, like how deeply personal this piece is, how much like when I watch it, I have guttural reactions to the way you go from this range of emotions from laughter to complete silence. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm with you, right? Uh-huh. And y- you mentioned this um, advice you got from, uh, from Prashant that yeah. uh, like you were speaking too fast in some of your stand-up stuff. Yeah. And he said to like, let the audience come to you. I think this special is the representation of that where like, I felt like I was coming to meet you. You weren't coming at me, yeah. you know, with information. You weren't telling a story about someone else. Yeah. You know when I watch Patriot Act like you're telling you're you're interspersing or like interstitial there's stuff about you. Yeah. But this is about you. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm clicking and deciding to stay for you. Wow. And that's you, depth. And so that's my perspective on The King's Jester is like I don't think this is this should be gauged uh from a success perspective on how many people watch it but on the impact
1: you have on the people who do wow, watch it. Wow, thank know? you, yeah. I agree with that. I think it's yeah. so personal that what you're making can only be made by you. Yes. Right? Oh, wow. And that's so interesting. Yeah. Whereas like you mentioned like Top Gun Maverick, like Miles Teller's in it, but if it was someone else, I would still watch it. Oh, yeah, right. right. Different mediums. Right. But like you're creating so something so deeply personal yeah. that like if I make it through the full special yeah. and I enjoyed it, it's like, yeah. oh, I'm not going to forget right. that hour plus I just spent with him. Yeah. It's
2: human. I hope so. You know, and there's the, you know, when we were in edit, Tyler and PV and I were in the edit for almost two and a half months, just editing it and and picking our select shots and all that stuff, and doing roto on certain things and getting Ludwig Gorenson to come in and compose music for it. And uh, in the worst moments, there were these moments where I'm like, "Man, am I am I an author writing books in like a, a digital age? Mm. Is this a, is this a thing that people don't want or care for anymore?" And I remember. Uh, Prashanth told me after we were like in edit to like two or three o'clock in the morning and he was like man if you wanted to like live your life determining what the audience wanted you and I should have just been executives where we're just these kind of creative VCs of like that seems like a good idea mm. that seems like it's a good idea He's, like, we're on the other side of it because we have something to say so the tension he's always reminding me of is like don't don't just always be a network studio exec to your creative process. Try to keep that, keep that channel open and pure. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite scenes in um Genius, the Kanye doc, is when Pharrell listens to Through the Wire yeah, with that's Kanye and was scene. like, Man, just keep that channel open. Yeah. Of like that thing you really mm-hmm. want to say. Yeah. And uh if that thing I want to say, it happens to hit at a moment, like the White House Correspondence Dinner or Homecoming King or whatever, and it happens to match up with what the audience wants, great. If not, just keep keep your burn low enough that you can still do this for another 40 years.
0: I love that. I think uh, the thing that I really respect about you is that you're not for everybody.
2: You know? oh, wow. And I
0: think that maybe you don't, maybe you yeah. feel differently. Yeah, but yeah. like, I am very concerned about not like being for everybody that oh, anyone wow. can come across something and right. be like, Oh, I'm into this. Yeah. But you are very much not for everybody. Like there's mm. times where uh, after homecoming King, where I talked about your special yeah. in a group and there's some people who are like, I don't like that guy. He <laughs> talks too fast. You know, I don't like his style. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. He's too aggressive. Yeah. And I'm like, trying to argue on your behalf, oh, right? Oh, thank you. No, but I'm saying like- Colin I the one arguing. No, yeah, I, like, I, like, I was like, like I don't guess God, I, honestly, honestly, I man. can't even. Yeah. But when you have that, like when you're, when you're not for everybody, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, you build, again, depth and passion with the people you are for. Sure. And I think that's like, that's the, 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 what builds longevity in this career, sure. in my opinion. I, I'm curious your perspective on how the regular output of specifically comedy has impacted the landscape mm. of- of comedy, yeah. where you know you mentioned Tim Dillon, you mentioned Andrew Schultz, oh, right?
2: Like, yeah. You know, Burt Kreischer, yeah. Norman Moreau, like the list goes on and on.
0: Output is wild. Yeah, right? it's like, it, it, You know, but Schultz puts out Infamous in this crazy way. Yeah,
2: it's great. It's amazing yeah. how he
0: did that, and at the same time, and
2: you, you guys kind of gave him some advice. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah some advice. Was a moment! On that, right? yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, I
0: mean super fun. And like we talk, Schultz and I talk all the time. Yeah. His output is insane. Like yes, he's putting yeah, out yeah. so
1: much content. He's yeah. interviewing more creators than we are. And this is what <laughs> we do. Yeah, he, yeah, he, like, oh man, out.
0: he got that creator? Yeah. Now yeah. he's like vlogging and streaming and like, he's, he's putting out a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm curious your perspective on how the output of comedy has impacted just the landscape
2: of comedy. Yeah. I think what's really beautiful is this, is there was a period of time where, Comedy Central and HBO knighted people. And generally there's only five to 10 people that could get in. And out of those five to 10 people that got in, maybe three to four were theater acts and maybe one or two were stadium acts. Now in these this decentralized landscape, I think there's almost 40 theater acts mm. and there's probably 10 to 15 arena acts. That's great. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great. And I think what's awesome is is um, what Andrew's doing, what Tim is doing, what um, all those guys are doing is they're, they're building that group of people. That's like, I want to go see you in theaters. I want to go see you in arenas. And what's awesome. I think with that capital and freedom is now they can imprint their worldview on the world, however they see fit. And it doesn't have to be backed by Comcast or Viacom or time Warner or Netflix. So there's, there's pros and cons to everything, you know? Um, And they got to meet a demanding production schedule. But I think actually what they're showing is YouTube is now the new home for non-scripted content. And I think streaming is now the home for premier scripted content. Interesting, Mm -hmm. yeah. So when people are like, late night is dead, it's not dead. The idea of a guy sitting there giving you their opinion with their friends, that's Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. It's just now moved to To YouTube. It's just that's the home of non-scripted shows, right? And mm-hmm. people like Marquise Brownlee—that used to be a show on like CNET,
0: yeah, or these totally. other
2: traditional media, yeah. legacy media players. Now he's his own CNET, mm. but it's it's the category of it is non-scripted. Now it's just on YouTube. So that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I, I just see it that way. If you want to scale your vision, you need twenty to fifty million dollars to do a movie or do a project. You go on streaming. If you want to be independent, and the capital need is maybe $5 million or less. Yeah. You're on YouTube and they're both great for different things. Yes. You know,
1: I think you guys have pulled back a little bit from your YouTube channel. I yeah. remember when yeah. you launched it, what was the reason there? Was it like, we're going to do this, bring people behind the scenes, put butts in seats. Was it like a backup plan? Yeah. Sure. Like, what was the thought there?
2: I think there was a, there was a thing of, Hey, maybe let's show people the, the making of this thing. Um, I think the only problem is, is the, there isn't a ton of scalability after like four or five episodes. You're like, I get it. He's on the road. He's in a tour bus. He's in a green room. Mm -hmm. He's fixing jokes and he goes and he tries said joke out. So I think that was really it. The thing that I'm always juggling is the time capital spent doing that versus making and fixing the show and making the show great. Yeah. Servicing that or fixing right now we're in pre-production on a movie, making sure that script is great. Yeah, versus mm-hmm, like, yeah. I got to service this, this yeah. thing this week. So I think if there was a world where I ever were to do, you know, like non-scripted, a full-time show, yeah, that's basically what Patriot Act was. Mm-hmm. Our YouTube channel, Deep Cuts, all that stuff was a non-scripted YouTube show. I think a lot of our fans, those five, six million people that would rock with us every week came from YouTube. And then there was a group of people that watched us Sundays on Netflix. Um, How did you know when things weren't working
0: and when to move on from them? Yeah. In, in your dark years. In my career. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think like, yeah, this is just a humility thing. Like, you know what, what's really interesting is I've just gotten to this age where I realize life will chin check you and nobody comes out of this unscathed. I don't care where you are in the political spectrum. You look at Donald Trump's life and the licks he's taken. He's lo- he lost his brother to alcoholism, the bankruptcies he's filed for. Look at Joe Biden's life losing multiple children, losing a spouse, losing multiple runs for the presidency. Again, I'm not assigning qualitative value to either of them. I'm not, I'm not here to get into a political argument. What I'm saying is the longer you play the game, you're going to get chin checked by life. And I realized nobody comes out of this thing unscathed. The humbling thing about life and the game is the game will reveal your hand. So when I was 18, 19, and you know, I'm auditioning for things and things don't come my way, I had this vision, I was going to be on a sitcom and then I would go tour and those dreams die. Like eventually you hit an age and you're like, you're 30 years old. You're not going to play a 19 year old anymore. It's over. That dream is over. I had a dream of doing a late night set on Conan. And like, even on my Vimeo page, it says Conan late night set V7.mov and you know, that private Vimeo link Mm -hmm. you send. And by the time I even was able to get on the show, I was already at the daily show. It's over. That dream died you know I was never able to do that thing that I always dreamed of. I'm 37 now like I can't play certain roles that 25 year olds can play. And that's okay. Like things ending, things dying is actually okay. That's part of life. Life is about graduating. So to answer your question, the game just checked me. So it was no different than me trying out for the basketball team. I tried my best.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm a senior. This is the last year I can try out for varsity. It's over. And you cry, you mourn, and you just move on. And the the time that I've spent with OGs, they're really good at mourning and letting go, and that's okay. That's part of life, and that's that's really what happened. You know, some of those dreams ended, and new things happened, and that's okay. Yeah, and I think it's for the best, man. Do mm-hmm. you imagine if I was thirty seven, I dress like a nineteen year old, mm. and I'm still playing that like sure L A peter pan syndrome game i mean there's guys that are like 47 years old and they dress like they're 23 it's it's horrifying to look at you know what i mean you're (laughs) just like what is what is wrong with you you can move on yeah yeah totally you know and you look at people i even look at like my fashion icons music icons janelle monet david beckham pharrell williams they have aged so gracefully And they've aged with a level of, like, sanity and clarity in their thoughts. Man, Man, oh, man, you meet some people that were, like, hot in the 90s, early 2000s. You're like, bro, what's happening upstairs? Like, what happened to you? You know? And they didn't mourn and move on.
0: Yeah.
2: You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay. Like, life is about graduating. You got to graduate, mourn it, and move on, you know? Um, and so I got it, and I, you got to do great. that with humility. So yeah. whether these next projects that I do work or fail, I come to it with humility. It's between God, the audience, they decide. Man, I love that. Yeah. Appreciate that. That was really yeah. good perspective. Yeah, really religious. At yeah. The yeah. End. Yeah. Yeah. I like, but it's the it's facts, bro. There's no getting <laughs> around this, right? You know what I mean? Like that speaks to like
1: the long game that this is. I appreciate
2: it. I appreciate sitting down with you guys, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, this is such a dope conversation. Yeah, this is awesome, man. Yeah, you guys are great. Appreciate it. Yeah, sincerely.